all you have. You are now tuned in to Parker Swayze. So just sat back and ready to play. Let me take your thoughts far, far away. Now let's hear what Darth Vader has to say. We would be honored if you would join us. What's happening, Far, Far Away family? How's everyone doing today? We hope everyone is doing well. I don't know about everyone else, but last week seemed to be the longest week of this year. So much stuff was going on, it just made it linger. It seemed like it took forever. The team and I were talking about releasing another episode this week. If we can find the time, we'll get it done. I can't promise you anything, so this is not a promise by no means. We're just going to play it by ear. Now let's get to this amazing book, because when we left Bane in the last episode, he was riding on the back of a giant ranker on his way to the Wakata Temple to try to find some of the secrets of the dark side. So let's see what's going on with him now. It took nearly an hour before Bane reached his destination. The vegetation around him was teeming with life. But as he was carried along through the jungle, he saw nothing larger than insects or small birds. Most creatures scattered before the rankers advance, vanishing long before Bane ever came close enough to catch even a glimpse of them. Yet though they scampered away, the rankers' keen sense of smell often picked up their trail, and more than once Bane had to rein in the beast's hunting instincts to keep it on course. As difficult as it was to keep the beast from racing off in pursuit of its next meal, it became even more difficult to drive it forward as they neared the temple. Every few steps they would try to veer to the side or suddenly shy away from its course. Once, it even tried to rear up and dislodge him from its shoulders. Bane couldn't see more than a few meters ahead through the thick vegetation, but he knew they were close now. He could sense the power of the temple calling to him from behind the impenetrable curtain of tangled vines and twisted branches. Clamping down with the dark side, he crushed the last of the mighty ranker's will to resist and urged it forward. Suddenly they broke through into a clearing, a circle nearly 100 meters across. In the very center stood the Rakatan temple. The structure rose nearly 20 meters to the sky a monument of carved rock and stone. The only entrance was a broad archway at the peak of an enormous staircase carved into an outside wall of the temple itself. Its surface was pristine, stark and pure, unsullied by clinging moss or climbing ivy. The grounds surrounding it were barren, but for a carpet of short, soft grass. It was as if the jungle feared to creep forward and reclaim the tainted stone. So this chapter starts off right where we left off. Bane is riding this ranker through the jungle. He is headed to the Rakata Temple, but the closer they get, the harder it gets to keep the beast moving forward. Once the ranker even tries to throw him from his shoulders, but Bane can feel the power of the dark side calling to him. So he used that same power to break the will of the ranker. Then they come out of the jungle into a clearing, a circle in the middle of the jungle with the Rakata Temple dead in the middle. Bane looks at this temple with wonder in his eyes when he noticed that there is no vegetation growing on the temple. It is free of everything that might cling to an ancient temple. Now that would be very strange. You know that the people who built the temple have been dead for thousands of years. It is in the middle of a jungle planet and the temple is clean. Bane might be onto something with this trip. The author says that the jungle was afraid of the temple. And for a lack of better words, so am I. Bane leapt down from his mount, all his attention focused on the structure towering before him. Freed from his power, the ranker turned and fled back into the undergrowth. The terrible crashing cacophony of its escape was overlaid with its tortured howls, but Bane noticed neither sound. He had no more use for the ranker. He had found what he was searching for. It took a trembling step forward before stopping short. 
He shook his head to clear it. The dark side was strong here. So strong it made him feel lightheaded. That meant this was a place of danger. He couldn't afford to be wandering around in a stupor. According to the accounts he'd read in the archives, the temple had once been protected by a powerful energy shield, one that required an entire Rakatan tribe, of which each individual had been a powerful force user, to bring it down. He didn't sense any such barrier, but only a fool would proceed without caution. As he had done in the tombs on Korriban, he began to probe the area around him with the force. He felt the echoes of the safeguards that had once protected the temple, but they were so weak as to be almost non-existent. He wasn't surprised. The shields around the temple had been fueled by the power of the orbiting Starforge. With its destruction, the shields had failed, along with all the other defenses that had made the unknown world a graveyard of ships. Wondering what else had been lost in the Starforge's violent end, he crossed the surrounding courtyard and mounted the temple steps. The staircase was steep but wide, and the stone was neither worn nor cracked despite its age. It ended at a small landing leading to the stone archway of the entrance, three-quarters of the way up. He paused at the threshold, then passed through. He had a brief sensation of what it must have felt like for those who came before him. The anticipation, the thrill of discovery. Once inside, however, it only took a few minutes of exploration for his excitement to fade. Like Korriban, the temple had been stripped of anything of value. He searched for hours, beginning with the top floor where he had first come in, and proceeding deeper and deeper until he reached the bottom level, combing every centimeter of the empty halls and deserted rooms. Yet even though his search was proving futile, he didn't despair. The crypts in the Valley of the Dark Lords had felt drained, used up, and sucked dry. The unknown world felt different. There was still power here. There had to be something here for him to find. He was certain of it. He refused to accept another failure. It was in the lowest level of the temple, far below the planet's surface, that his obsessive quest finally ended. When he first stumbled into the room, his attention was immediately drawn by the remains of a massive computer, but it was clearly beyond any hope of repair. And then he noticed something on the stone wall behind the computer. The surface was etched with a number of arcane symbols. The language of the Rakata, perhaps? They meant nothing to him, and he would have dismissed them without a second glance, except that one of them was glowing. He almost hadn't noticed it at first. It was subtle, a faint violet hue tracing the edges of one of the unusual shapes. It was almost perfectly level with his eye. As he stared at it, the glow grew stronger. He stepped forward and reached out tentatively with his hand. The light winked out, startling him into taking a step back. He reached out again, but this time, instead of using his hand, he reached out with the force. The stone character flared to life. Struggling to contain his eagerness, he again extended his hand and pressed hard against the glowing symbol. There was the sound of turning gears and the grinding of stone on stone. The seams of a small square, less than half a meter on each side, took shape in the wall as a section of stone pushed out. Bane stepped back as the chunk toppled down from the wall and shattered on the ground at his feet, revealing a small cubby hole behind it. With no hesitation, he thrust his arm into the darkness to seize whatever was inside. His fingers wrapped around something cold and heavy. 
He drew it out and stared in wonder at the artifact in his hand. Slightly larger than his fist, it had the shape of a four-sided pyramid, a tiny replica of the temple in which he stood. Bane instantly recognized his prize for what it was, a Sith holocron, a repository of forbidden knowledge just waiting to be unlocked. The art of constructing holocrons had been lost for countless millennia, but from his studies, Bane knew something of the basic theory behind their design. The information they contained was stored within an interwoven, self-encrypted digital matrix. A holocron's protection systems couldn't be circumvented or broken. The information couldn't be sliced or copied. There was only one way to access the knowledge captured within. Each holocron was imprinted with the personality of one or more masters to serve as guardians. When accessed by one capable of understanding its secrets, the holocron would project tiny, crude, hologramic images of the various guardians. Through interaction with the student, the programmed simulacra would teach and instruct in much the same way as would a flesh-and-blood mentor. However, all accounts of Sith holocrons had made mention of the ancient symbols adorning the four-sided pyramid. The holocron he held in his hand was almost completely blank. Could this possibly predate even the holocrons of the ancient Sith? Was this a relic of the Rakata themselves? Would the guardians of the holocron be the imprinted personalities of alien masters from a time even before the birth of the Republic? And if so, would they be willing to teach him their secrets? Would they even respond to him? Moving carefully, he set the holocron gently on the floor, then sat down before it. He crossed his legs and began the deep, slow breathing of a meditative trance. Gathering and focusing his energy, Bane projected a wave of dark force power out to engulf the small relic on the floor. The holocron began to sparkle and shimmer in response. He held his breath in anticipation, unsure what would come next. A small beam of light projected out from the top. The particles scattered and diffused. They began to shift and spin, coalescing into a cloaked figure, its features completely hidden by the hood of its heavy robe. Then a voice spoke, crisp and clear. I am Darth Revan, Dark Lord of the Sith. The empty halls of the temple above trembled with the reverberations of Bane's triumphant, booming laughter. Now, Bane jumps from the back of the Ranker, releasing the Ranker from the hold of his force. Then the Ranker shreds him to pieces. No, I'm just playing, but that would have been funny. The Ranker actually runs back to the jungle, and Bane starts to walk towards the temple. The dark side is very strong here, so strong that it causes Bane to get lightheaded. He knew that the Star Forge is what powered the temple's defenses. Without the Star Forge, it should be unprotected, but he's still wary of other defenses that might have been used. He walks up the stairs to the front of the temple, then enters the temple through the large archway. Bane was so excited to find what the dark side had for him. This faded after a few moments in the temple, in the same way as the Valley of the Dark Lords. The temple had been stripped of everything. Still, he searched every room looking for something. He started at the top and worked his way down to the bottom. In the last room, he found what was calling him. There was a symbol on the wall that was glowing. 
After some meddling, it opened to reveal a hidden compartment. Bane reached in and retrieved a small four-sided pyramid. He instantly knew that it was a Sith holocron. Bane didn't know a lot about holocrons, but one thing that he did know is that they held the knowledge of who created it. So he used the dark side to open the holocron. This is when a hologram of Darth Revan sprang out, and Bane started to laugh so loud that it echoed through the entire temple. To Bane, it seemed the teachings contained within the single holocron surpassed those of the Academy's entire archives. Revan had discovered many of the rituals of the ancient Sith, and as the holocron's avatar explained their nature and purpose, Bane could barely wrap his mind around their awesome potential. Some of the rituals were so terrible, so dangerous to attempt, even for a true Sith master, that he doubted he would ever dare to use them. Yet he dutifully copied them down on sheaths of flimsy, preserving them so he could study them in greater depth later. And there was far more than just the ancient practices of dark side sorcerers stored inside the holocron. In only a few short weeks, he'd learned more about the true nature of the dark side than he had in all his time on Korriban. Revan had been a true Sith Lord, unlike the simpering masters who bowed to Khan and his brotherhood. And soon, all his knowledge, his understanding of the dark side, would belong to Bane. So Bane is learning stuff from Revan's holocron. He states that Revan knew more than all he had learned in the archives. Revan had already found a lot of the ancient Sith secrets. As Bane tried to soak up the information, he could hardly comprehend it all. He pondered the applications of this information, all that he could do once he learned it all. Some of them being so evil and complicated, he would never even try to do them. But he was smart enough to write them down for further study, because there was more than the dark side secrets stored in this holocron. That's because Revan had been a real Sith Master, not some fake Sith practicing half the Jedi Code as well. Githany woke with a start, kicking the covers off her cot and onto the dirt floor of the tent. She was sweating and flushed, but it wasn't from the heat. Rusan had entered its rainy season, and though the days were warm and humid, at night the temperature dropped enough that the sentries on duty could see the misty clouds of their own breath. She'd been dreaming of Bane. No, not dreaming. The details were too sharp and clear to call it a dream. The experience too vivid and real. It was a vision. There was a link between the two of them, a bond established through their time together studying the Force. A connection between mentor and student was not unheard of, although Githany was no longer sure who had really been the master and who the apprentice in their relationship. Her vision had been one of stark clarity. Bane was going to come to Rusan, but he wasn't coming to join the Brotherhood. He was coming to destroy it. She shivered, the perspiration cooling her skin in the chill night air. She rolled out of bed and pulled her heavy cloak on over her thin bedclothes. She had to speak to Khan about this. It couldn't wait until morning. The night was dark. The moon and stars were blocked out by the brooding storm clouds that had filled the sky ever since she and the others from Korriban had arrived. A light mist fell from the sky, a slight improvement from the steady drizzle that had been falling when she'd crawled wearily into bed. A handful of other Sith were wandering the camp. A few mumbled, unintelligible greetings as they passed, but most kept their heads down and their feet plodding steadily through the mud. The ardor Khan had inspired when the reinforcements had arrived had been dulled by the seemingly endless stream of gray, wet days. 
It would be several more weeks before the rains abated and gave way to the sweltering heat of Rusan's long summer. Until then, Khan's followers would continue to suffer from the damp and cold. Githany paid no attention. Focused on her mission, she slowed only when she reached the entrance to the great tent that Khan had made his personal quarters. There was a light burning inside. Lord Khan was awake. She entered tentatively. What she had to say was for his ears only. Fortunately, she found him alone. But she stopped in the entry, staring in morbid fascination at the apparition before her. We love bringing you more Star Wars, and it is because of our partners that we can do this week after week. So we invite you to be one of those partners. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us keep this going. Your support will give us the ability to create future episodes, as well as provide you with the best sounding show on your playlist. And to express our appreciation, we will give you a shout out on our mid-series show that we do in the middle of every book. You will also be automatically entered in all future giveaways. All you have to do is go to the show notes and click that listener support link. Now let's get back to the show. In the dim glow of the lantern that served as the tent's only source of illumination, Khan looked like a man gone mad. He was pacing quickly up and down the length of the tent, his steps uneven and erratic. He was hunched over nearly double, muttering to himself and shaking his head. His left hand constantly strayed up to tug on a strand of his hair, then quickly jerked down as if it had been caught in some forbidden act. She could hardly believe that this crazed being was the man she had chosen to follow. Was it possible Bane had been right all along? She was on the verge of slipping back out into the sodden night when Khan turned and finally noticed her. For a brief moment, his eyes showed wild panic. They burned with the fear and desperation of a caged animal. Then suddenly he snapped to his full height, standing straight and tall. The look of terror left his eyes, replaced by one of cold anger. Kethany, he said, his welcome as cold as his icy expression. I was not expecting visitors. Now it was she who felt fear. Lord Khan radiated power. He could crush her as easily as she crushed the small beetles that sometimes scuttled across the floor of her tent. The memory of the craven, broken man was gone blasted from her mind by the overwhelming aura of Khan's authority. Forgive me, Lord Khan, she said with a slight bow of her head. I need to speak with you. His anger seemed to soften, though he still maintained his undeniably commanding presence. Of course, Githany, I always have time for you. The words were more than cordial formality. There was something deeper beneath them. Githany was an attractive woman, she was used to being the object of innuendo and men's barely hidden desire. Usually it evoked little more than revulsion, but in Khan's case it brought a warm flush to her cheeks. He was the founder of the Brotherhood of Darkness, a man of vision and destiny. How could she not be flattered by his attentions? I've had a premonition, she explained. I saw... I saw Darth Bane. He was coming to Rusan to destroy us. Goddess has made me well aware of Bane's views, he said, nodding. This is not unexpected. He doesn't see the glory of our cause, Githany said, apologizing for Bane. He's never met you in person. His only understanding of the Brotherhood comes through Cordis and the other masters, the ones who turned their backs on him. Khan gave her a puzzled stare. 
You came to warn me that Bane is planning to destroy us. Now it seems you are trying to justify his actions. The Force shows us what may be, not necessarily what will be, she reminded him. If we can convince Bane to join us, he could be a valuable ally against the Jedi. I see, Khan said. You feel that if we bring him into the fold of the Brotherhood, then your premonition will not come true. There was a long pause, and then he asked, Are you certain your personal feelings for him are not clouding your judgment in this matter? Embarrassed, Githany couldn't meet his eyes. I'm not the only one who feels this way. She mumbled, staring down at the ground. Many of the others from Korriban are troubled by his absence as well. They felt his strength. They wonder why one so strong in the dark side would reject the Brotherhood. She raised her head when Khan placed a comforting hand on her shoulder. You might be right, Githany, but I cannot act on your suggestion. Nobody even knows where Bane is. I do. There's a, a bond between us. I can tell you where Bane has gone. Khan reached out to take her chin in his cupped palm. He tilted her head back ever so slightly. Then I will send someone to him, he promised. You did the right thing by coming to me, Githany, he added, gently releasing her and giving her a reassuring smile. Githany, beaming with pride, smiled back. So this part starts off with Giffany waking up from her sleep. She thought she was dreaming of Bane, but then she realized that she was not dreaming. She was experiencing a vision. And this vision was not of Bane coming to join the Brotherhood of Darkness, but then he was coming to destroy the Brotherhood. She gets up, gets ready, and goes to Khan's tent to tell him about the vision. But when she enters into the massive tent, she is taken by what she sees. The strong and powerful Khan looked like a man gone mad. He was pacing back and forth talking to himself. Shoot, looking like he had gone mad is an understatement. They say you know you've gone crazy when you start talking to yourself. Oh crap, I must be crazy because I talk to myself all the time. Wait a minute, I answer myself. So I must be on the top of the crazy chart. Okay, enough about me being crazy. We're talking about Khan being crazy and what Giffany sees. Or what she sees after Khan notices her. She describes him as looking like a wild beast in a cage. But then all of a sudden he snaps out of it. That's that old Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde stuff. That's how you know he's really crazy. When he just snaps right back to the normal in a blink of an eye. Then he basically asks her why is she in the tent. Giffany apologizes for her intrusion. Then she starts to explain why she's there. She tells Lord Khan about her vision of Bane, how she saw Bane coming to destroy the Brotherhood. Khan tells her that he is quite aware of Bane's views. Then she goes on to start making excuses for Bane's action. Khan quickly calls her on her words. She tells Khan that the Force shows them what might happen, not what will happen. There is still a chance that Bane will join them. That's why I like the Force so much. It shows you something before it happens, so there is still a possibility that it changes it. But from my experience with viewing the way the Force works, it almost turns out the way the Force shows you, no matter what you try to do. But then Khan asks her if her personal feelings are not clouding her judgment. Giffany tells him that she is not the only one that feels that way. Many of the other Siths from the Academy feel the same way. Then Khan tells her that he can't act on her vision because no one knows where Bane has gone. She tells him that she knows where he is. Bane and her have a special connection. Then Khan tells Giffany that he will send someone to Bane. She left a few minutes later after explaining where Bane had gone and why. Khan watched her go, her words troubling him, though he was careful not to let it show. He had allayed her fears, and he was confident she would remain loyal to the Brotherhood, despite her obvious attraction to Bane. 
Githany imagined herself the object of every man's desire, but Khan could see a similar desire burning brightly within her. She hungered for power and glory, and he was all too willing to feed her pride and ambition with his flirting, praise, and promises. Still, he wasn't sure what to make of her vision. Though he was strong in the force, his talents lay elsewhere. He could change the course of a war with his battle meditation. He could inspire loyalty in the other lords through subtle manipulations of their emotions. But he had never experienced a premonition like the one that had brought her to his tent in the middle of the dark night. His first inclination was to dismiss it as baseless worry brought on by low morale. The reinforcements from Korriban had brought expectations of a quick end to Rusan's long war. But General Hoth was too clever to let his army of light be crushed by the superior Sithmite. He had switched tactics, conducting a war of hit-and-run skirmishes, stalling for time as he tried to marshal more support for his own forces. Now the Sith were growing impatient and restless. The glorious victory Khan had promised them weeks earlier had not materialized. Instead, they trudged through mud and never-ending rain, trying to defeat an enemy that wouldn't even stand and fight. Githany's visit hadn't surprised him. The only real surprise was that more of the Dark Lords hadn't come to voice their dissatisfaction. But that only made Githany's warnings more dangerous. Bane had rejected the Brotherhood in a very public spectacle. All the recruits from Korriban claimed to have seen it in person. The story had spread through the camp like a plague. At first, they'd scoffed at his arrogance and stubbornness. He'd chosen to walk alone, and he would not share in the triumph of the Brotherhood. In the absence of that triumph, however, some of the recruits had begun to wonder if Bane was right. Lord Khan had his spies among the Dark Lords. The whispers had reached his ears. The Lords were not ready to act on their doubts, but their resolve was weakening, along with their allegiance. He had forged a coalition of enemies and bitter rivals. Though the Brotherhood of Darkness appeared strong as Durasteel, one firm voice of dissent could fracture it into a thousand fragile pieces. He grabbed the lantern from his tent and headed out into the night's drizzle, his long stride propelling him quickly through the camp. He would deal with Bane, just as he'd promised Githany. If the recalcitrant young man could not be convinced to join him, he would have to be eliminated. Within a few minutes, Khan had reached his destination. He paused at the door, remembering his anger at Githany's unexpected entrance into his own tent. Not wishing to antagonize the man he'd come to see, he called out, Kasim, come in. A voice answered a second later, and he heard the unmistakable shush of a lightsaber powering down. He entered to find the Twilic Blade Master clad only in breeches, sweating and breathing hard. I see you're up, he noted. It's not easy to sleep on the eve of battle, even a battle that never seems to come. Kasim was a warrior. Khan knew he chafed at their inactivity. Drills and exercises could not quench his desire for actual combat. At the Academy on Korriban, the Blade Master had performed his duty without complaint. But here on Rusan, the promise of battle was too near, too insistent. The scent of blood was always in the air, mingling with a sweat of fear and anticipation. Here, Kasim could be satisfied only once he stood face to face with an enemy. Soon, his frustration would boil over into rebellion. 
and Khan could ill afford to lose the loyalty of the greatest swordsmen of this camp. Fortunately, he had a way to deal with both his problems, Bane and Kasim, in one fell swoop. I have a mission for you, a mission of great importance. I live to serve Lord Khan. Kasim's answer was calm, but his head tails twitched with anticipation. I must send you far from Lusan, to the ends of the galaxy. You have to go to Leon, the unknown world. The Blademaster asked, puzzled. There is nothing there but the graveyard of our Order's greatest defeat. Bane is there, Khan explained. You must go to him as my envoy. Explain that he must join the rest of the Sith here on Rusan. Tell him that those who do not stand with the Brotherhood stand against it. Kasim shook his head. I doubt it will make a difference. Once his mind is set, he can be... Stubborn. The dark side cannot be united in the Brotherhood if he stands alone, Khan explained. As he spoke, he reached out with the Force, pushing ever so gently at the Twi'lek's wounded sense of pride. I know he rejected you and the other Masters on Korriban, but you must make this offer once more. And when he refuses, Kasim's words were quick and sharp. Inwardly, Khan smiled at the Blademaster's growing anger, even as he pushed just a little more. Then, you must kill him. Okay, right here is where Giffany snitches all Bane, telling Khan the location of where Bane was. Now this is the part that gets me. The author should have explained how she did it. We all know it has something to do with the Force, but how did she use the Force to pinpoint his location? Did she look at a star chart and just say, here? I'm just saying, what did she do? I personally would like to know. But after she tells Khan his location, she leaves to go back to her tent. Khan being confident that he kept her on his side because there's already been some problems with his story. But the tale of Bane's defiance has spread among the Brotherhood. And a lot of the other Sith has started wondering if Bane was right. At this point, Khan knew what must be done. He leaves his tent and walks across the camp. He goes to the Blade Master Kasim's tent. Khan tells Kasim that he has a mission for him to go to Bane and convince him to either join the Brotherhood or destroy Bane once and for all. Now, I know this was going to be hard on Kasim, not the battle itself, but if Bane chose not to join the Brotherhood of Darkness, Kasim would have to kill his favorite pupil. But we all know that Kasim would do his duty, and that's where the chapter comes to an end. Once again, another filler chapter. No action, but the information that we need to continue the story. Something that you gotta have. Okay, now let's get to the news and rumors part of the show. And this week, we got a rumor that I hope comes true. Because there's been a lot of talk in the community about whom will replace Gina Carrera as Cara Dune in The Mandalorian. By now, we all know that she was fired for Disney. But before Miss Carino destroyed her Hollywood career, the plan was for her to appear in both the Rangers of the New Republic and her own spinoff series. That's no longer going to happen for obvious reasons. A rumor from LRM Online suggests that Lucas is planning to replace Dune with Hera Sadula, a fan favorite character from the Star Wars Rebels series. At the end of the Disney XD series, Ahsoka Tana and Sabrina Wren set off to find Ezra Bridger. This is while Hera continued to serve the Rebellion alongside her son. The character has since appeared in the Star Wars Squadron's video game, but the Rangers of the New Republic will serve as a nice way to continue her story, while revealing what became of Hera after Return of the Jedi. This would make perfect sense to pick up where Hera left off. 
This will likely mean that the series will tie into The Mandalorian, but Ahsoka as well. Now, if her son happens to be force sensitive, then we could get a whole new set of stories for years to come. As for Cara Dune, we all know that she will be written out of The Mandalorian, but it wouldn't be a surprise for her to be killed off screen. There will have to be some sort of explanation for her absence. Now, we shouldn't expect to learn more about that until the third season of The Mandalorian. So how do you feel about her making her live-action debut in the Rangers of the New Republic? Email us at sway.audio at gmail.com letting us know your thoughts. Now, that would be super amazing, though. Here, joining the fun of live-action Star Wars, then you got her and Kanan's son. They might be able to use the Force. This could spawn a whole nother series in itself. But until we get the confirmation, this is just a rumor. And I don't want to get my hopes up too high, but if it does come to pass, it will be super cool. Now on to the quote for this week. And today it comes to us from Han Solo. And he said, I never ask a question until after I've done it. Stop wasting time asking questions. Actions are the ways to succeed. If something doesn't work out, learn from it and don't do it again. But keep on trying until you find what works. Then use what works until it don't work no more. Then try something else. But don't ever let yourself get caught up in the question stage. That's where you just ask questions and wonder if something will work. Most of the successful people that I have met in my life failed hundreds of times before they ever found what worked. But they all learned from each of those failures. They found out what not to do. In reality, there's no such thing as failure because you've learned from everything that you do. And with that being said, I think this episode is done. Join us next time for more Far, Far Away Adventures. We hope to see you there. Thank you for listening to Sway. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can find us and subscribe on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. Sway was created by Keen Eye Shit and is a production of Pick Film Media. This show was produced by Quentin McDaniel, sound designed by Theodore Thompson, researched by Tammy Turner. I am your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away.